information presented on For the People is provided as general legal information. The general legal information is intended to inform consumers, is not intended to substitute for specific legal advice as it relates to the listener's specific legal issue. Consumers are cautioned not to rely on the general legal information broadcast on For the People as legal advice. No attorney-client relationship is created, intended, or implied between the consumers of For the People and Deborah Rainey Esquire, the compassionate lawyer, or the law office of Deborah D. Rainey. Please consult with an attorney for your specific legal issue. We the people says the Constitution, created for creating solutions. However, we the people lack the understanding. Legal terms and conditions sound written on another planet. Our rights we take for granted, often signing away our chances, because we don't really know the circumstances. I swear I can't stand it. Then we're so demanding, quick to throw up a picket sign in the streets to exercise our freedom of speech, when the situation could have been avoided from the start if we the people conquered basic knowledge of the law. So this is for the people, law in plain language. Breaking it down for us in layman terms. Deb expressing her compassion and will for us to learn. Not for a check, but to address how to win in these streets. This show is for you. This show is for me. It's for the people. What's up, what's up, what's up? Welcome to another episode of For the People, Law and Playing Language. This is me, Deb Rainey, the compassionate lawyer, your host. I got to say, no matter how many times I hear Black perform that poem, it just gives me goosebumps every time you perform it, girl. Wow. Oh, man. Joining me in the <laughs> studio is my For the People fam. As usual, you know Black, a.k.a. the Broke Poets. up, fam? What's up? What's up? What's up? Simply the PhD candidate producer. Hey, producer. Isn't something missing there? <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. I'm not going to look a gift. Simply the, the candidate. What did oh, I miss? Oh, you did say. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I said maybe. the Simply. Oh, she, we'll she have to, We have to bring our, our, our studio guests up to speed on the Simply at some other point. And joining us in the studio is two very handsome white guys. Um, <laughs> one is Matthew Pillisher. Hey, how he you doing? He is a documentarian, and he created a really interesting film that is going to cause a lot of folk to be talking for a long, long time. And we're not going to go into it right now, but the title of it is Broken on All Sides. Is that right, Matthew? Yeah. And with Matthew is Owen Lyman Schmidt. Did I get that right? You got to talk to your mic, babe. He's a cute guy. He's got a beard. He looks like a young Grizzly Adams. Tall and skinny, though. He's not fat like Grizzly was. Owen is a I'm blushing. member of Decarcerate. Decarcerate PA. Yep. And tell people briefly what Decarcerate... Is that? That's not a city in PA, right? No. In Pennsylvania? No. Okay. no tell us what Decarcerate is. Uh, Decarcerate's a, a coalition. Um, it's individuals and organizations, and we're seeking to end mass incarceration in Pennsylvania specifically and and get some relief from the damage it's done to our communities. Wow, okay. So, ladies and gentlemen, as we do on each show, before we get into the show too much, I want to make sure y'all pay attention. This is going to be a really interesting show. And you may or may not hear 
me come from a vantage point that a lot of you are going to be like, what the? What is that, Deb? Yeah, it's me. Deb got all facets to her. <laughs> anyway, last week's show was Philadelphia versus Montgomery County. And we had in-house the very first African-American chief public defender of Montgomery County, Miss Keir Bradford Gray, a really good friend of mine, a dynamic trial attorney and a phenomenal advocate for um, folks charged with criminal infractions. Keir went out to Montgomery County and has made it her life's mission or her mission while she's there as a chief defender to change the mindset of the county out there, which she said was a county full of ex-DAs who ran the county, and their idea was more about folks' right to be safe and didn't really give a crap about the folks who were arrested and charged with varying varying, um, stages of crime. And so it's going to be interesting to watch the progression and watch Keir's success out there in that county. We also had another dynamic trial lawyer on, Miss Suyen Pupo, who was here because um, she was supporting Kier, and unfortunately I made her speak every now and again, so she sort of just did what I asked her to do. Kier, Suyen, thank you once again for appearing on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, if you missed last week's show or any of our shows, you can check our shows out on forthepeople.podomatic, P-O-D-O-M-A-T-I-C.com. And on Podomatic, you can subscribe to iTunes. So every time one of our shows is is up and posted, you can download it automatically to your iTunes. You can go to my website, DebraReadyLaw.com. If you want to join in on the show, and this one's going to be a hot show, so y'all need to get ready. Get your dialing fingers ready, 215-609-4301. Remember, when you call the studio, please don't try to listen to yourself on your computer. There's going to be a delay. You're not going to hear my question. I'm not going to hear your response. It's going to be ugly because I'm going to call you crazy and ridicule you and hang up on you. I'm just kidding. When you call, you have to make sure that you turn down the volume on your computer so that you can hear us. Talk to us in the phone. I promise you, you'll be on the show. You'll be recorded. When you go to the Potomatic, you can hear it. So please don't try to get your friends to hear you on the radio so you can hear. When you call, talk to us on the phone. You can also hit us up on the text line. Black, let them know what the text line is. 215-435-4099. You can email us, forthepeople at com. Follow us on Twitter, For The People. Go to our Facebook page, For The People Law in Plain Language. Tuesday night, every night this time, you listen to For The People Law in Plain Language on www.gtownradio.com. G-Town, no what? sound from German town. So this is going to be sort of a rant, y'all, a rant of mine, but more so, I think, a rant belonging to Owen and Matthew. And it was funny, walking up tonight, we saw two guys hanging out on the corner. I thought they was trying to get some money, you know, but trying to get a little, <laughs> a little something, something. So Renee's like, oh, look at those two guys. They're probably part of the show. And I'm like, oh, the, who, the two white guys over there? <laughs> so it's always interesting to me, but... It's interesting in a way, but it goes back to history. Let's let's be real. Who were the original um, folks who put forth the civil rights movement? It was Jewish folks in combination with the uh, then originators of the NAACP. So there's always been, I think, and Owen and Matthew, if you're not Jewish, forgive me, you are for tonight for my purposes, <laughs> damn it. I know you are. Get the hell out of My here. My wife's Jewish, so that works. Wow, okay. I suck! <laughs> but anyway, I said that to say nine well, times out of ten. Mean, did you mean the Quakers? 
No, the Jewish people, not the Quakers. I don't okay. think the Quakers hooked up with uh, the NAACP folks, SCLC, oh, okay. Okay. back in the 60s. I'm listening, though. I'm listening. She I'm never <laughs> listens, y'all. She just, <laughs> she just playing around. So once again, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be talking about, and I don't even know what the title of tonight's show. Renee, what's the title of tonight's show? Broken on All Sides? Broken on All Sides. She sucks. She's a producer, too. Decarcerated. I like that I word. like yeah. decarcerated. We're going to get onto that. We're going to get into that. I think it said Broken on All Sides, the new Jim Crow or something. Yeah, I think of course that's I remember. Is that and what you saw? Really, yeah. for yeah, the listeners out there, and I don't want to offend anyone, but if y'all recall, during one of our voter um, shows, we did a little bit about Jim Crow. And in fact, I actually went online and found some of those pre-voter registration questions that they asked down south at the, at the polling places, registration places, before black folk could register to vote. And it was some of the craziest questions I had ever seen. Mm. And we actually stumped all of us and our state rep on a few of them. And most of the folks who responded in the blog, some constitutional st- scholars were also stumped by some of the questions. Mm. But the biggest problem was the grammar. The grammar was so bad, you couldn't figure out what the hell they were saying. The first question I read was something like, who can power to have veto the president? Some old, crazy, ignorant, backwood, oh, yeah, redneck thing. So you couldn't really answer the question because you couldn't figure out what the hell they were asking. The, the one I heard recently that's so crazy is how many suds of, uh, how many bubbles are there in a bar of soap? When you get it wet. Okay. So no matter what you said, we're going to be wrong. All righty. Nothing to do with the legal system or uh, civics, of right. course. Uh, how many, baby? <laughs> as many as you make when you yeah. put your ass in the water and... <laughs> 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 What'd you say, Owen? It's like guessing for the M&Ms in a jar or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> and believe it or not, you're not going to know if you're wrong. The only way you're going to know is if the examiner tells you you're wrong. And they're probably going to have made it up. And with these tests, were actually written instructions to the examiners. Do this with the Negroes. Do this with the non-Negroes. It was really interesting. So, ladies and gentlemen, before we jump off into our show, I'm going to pose questions to you as well as to our studio guests. And just a warning to Owen, baby, be, please be prepared to participate. You don't sit in the studio and not get called on. Okay? Hello, me? Owen, your name's not Owen, Renee. Okay. Producer. I was paying attention again. She never is. <laughs> All right. So, we're going to take a quick break. We're trying to get into our new format for the show so that we can... Uh, maximize our time and and entertain you at the same time. Before we go to our first break, though, I'm going to pull some stuff out there, throw some stuff out there for y'all. And this is my endeavor tonight for the first time on the show to be the sort of non-street dab. How's that? I'm not going to say intellectual because that's a little bit too tough for me tonight. I got cramps really bad. Oh, did I say that out loud? TMI. Did I say that out loud? (laughs) My bad. Sorry. Mama Black, don't throw nothing at me. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a and I and and and, and uh, Matthew don't get upset with me. A part of Matthew's um, the premise, a part of the premise for Matthew's movie, mass incarceration, translating into the new Jim Crow, along with a number of other things. So my question to my studio audience and to my studio family and to the listeners is: this notion of mass incarceration is that a new type of Jim Crow? Is it? Don't answer, y'all. Hold your questions, Renee. Write the questions down because you answer them first when we come off break. Those of you out there, what arguments do you have for or against mass, impri- mass imprisonment, mass incarceration? Is there a reason that we have laws that send folks to jail? Right? And do we give a damn that it ends up being what we're calling this mass incarceration thing? Owen's like, okay, I'm about to tear this woman up. I can see his face. <laughs> <laughs> How do we continue to be a capitalistic society of free will, freedom of choice, if we don't have rules? And... If we don't impose sanctions on those fools that can't follow our rules, we got to do something, right? 
People can't just be running around willy-nilly doing what the hell they want to do. How do we how do we or how do we balance those things? And um Michelle, I'm going to get to you in a minute, but there's a black sister out there. I just want to give her a shout out. I never met her before in my life. And Matthew Owen, I never stay on task. I, I, I float back and forth. Just stay with me, okay? Doesn't show at all. Sure. And your mama don't show me. <laughs> so there's a book that um, I know that Matthew read. Did you read the book as well, Owen? Of course he read it. It's called The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness. I read a couple extracts tonight. I had heard of it when Thomas Fort was on with um, Exodus and read a few snippets on my Kindle. I got more intrigued by learning about Matthew's movie. And I was telling Matthew when we first met, I read a whole bunch of it, but I'll let you know on the other side of the break what my concerns are as a defense attorney, compassionate as I am, and as a woman who comes from a background of law and order. So this book was written by Miss Michelle Alexander, legal scholar, civil rights attorney. She actually won the NAACP Image Award in March 2011. So, Miss Alexander, shout out to you. I know you're listening because you always listen, right? She only knows who the hell we are. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a really quick break, and we'll be right back. Don't go nowhere. Legal definition, um, a working definition, as they say in Philadelphia, and um, uh, a common sense definition. Uh, double selling is bad enough. Triple selling is um, uh, outrageous. When you don't have enough space for the individuals who are being sent there to house them in a humane condition, and so I guess that would be my definition of overcrowding. Well, I suppose if you look at the raw numbers, uh, one might conclude that Philadelphia prisons are overcrowded. Uh, I don't really have a good perspective as to what, how one determines overcrowding. Is it just based on sheer numbers? Is it based on the number of individuals who are sharing cells or how many people are in the cell? Uh, when you talk about overcrowding, it's looking at all the various components of a prison system alone and in combination to determine whether or not the minimal uh, civilized measures of society are being met. That the Philadelphia prison system has been uh, found to be overcrowded by the federal courts pretty much almost constantly since the late 70s.
Welcome back to For the People, Law in Playing Language. It's me, Deb Rainey, the compassionate lawyer, your host. That was a little snippet of Broken on All Sides. The female voice that you heard that sounded sort of confused. I don't know how you judge overcrowding. Really? Judge for real? Judge Sheila Woodskipper, who was the supervising judge of the Philadelphia County um, Court of Common Pleas, she's also in charge of the mental health court in Philadelphia County. And, and the mental health court model here in Philadelphia County is being used by a number of other counties and states across the nation because she does such a good job with that. Judge Woodskipper, you broke my heart when you sounded baffled and stupid. <laughs> I don't know how you gauge overcrowding. For real? Come on now. Let's not step on our dick here. That's just, come on. She sounds Go better. Go to the prison and look right, at the right. people sleeping on top of each other, literally. Yeah, yeah. Okay? She a sounds better when she two. talks about her mental horth, uh, health court judge because you know, later. Because Judge Woodskipper, for all intents and purposes, is a hang em high judge. You violate her probation, you're going upstate for two to four years. And I understand that because that's, why, that's how I grew up as well. Mm. And I think some of our uh, African-American and other minority judges have lost their way, shall we say. Mm. Um Notwithstanding that, I have mad love and respect for Judge, Judge Woodskipper. Judge Woodskipper, baby, I got your back. The next time you stumble on your tongue and step on your dick, I'm going to step up for you, all right? But you got to warn me first so I can be there to protect you, okay? <laughs> oh, on the man. other side of the break, folks, we were talking about Matthew Phyllis... Pillisher. Pillisher's <laughs> movie, Broken on All Sides. And I was telling you guys about how you're going to see and he- you're going to hear a little bit of a different side of them. Once we get into this whole notion of mass incarceration and Jim Crow and, and things like that. Mm. I also threw some rhetorical questions at you before we went on break. And I warned Owen that I was going to throw some stuff at him first and promised him he'd be able to put out some information about some events that Decarcerate Pennsylvania has coming up. Matthew, really quickly, our um, producer gave me a little note to say, do your oh background. My God. We're not supposed to show the notes. You're not supposed show your to work. show the notes. <laughs> so, Matthew, tell the listeners a little bit about what you are and who you are. What am I? He's okay, a white man hmm. with glasses. That's a good start. Uh, I'm a lawyer. I'm, I've been an activist for I'm sorry. about 10, 12 years. Yeah, wow. it's frustrating, but mm-hmm. it can be inspiring at times. Um and I, I came to law school through activism. I wanted to come to law schools, uh, figure out another way to try and help people. Did you start out with um, standing up against incarceration or some other? No, you know, I thought I was going to do labor labor law. Okay. I thought I was interested in workers' rights. I'm still interested in workers' rights, but I ended up gravitating so towards. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I ended up gravitating towards prisoners' rights for some reason in law school. That was sort of what was most interesting to me. And I, I did an internship with the PA Institutional Law Project. Oh, wow. And the um, Rudofsky's firm, Carrie mm-hmm. Rudofsky, uh, Messing and Feinberg. And both those organizations were dealing with prisoners in Pennsylvania and the Philly jail system. Um, when I was interning, the Carrie Rudofsky firm was suing the Philadelphia prison system for overcrowding, mm-hmm. and I got to interview was some that of the, the prisoners. Was the first suit or the subsequent suit? Uh, this, is, this is the subsequent suit, so the last suit, um, the Williams case. They've okay. been suing the prison system since the 70s right. on and off for right. overcrowding. Right. <laughs> um, Always with the same promise, oh, we're going to start finding better programs and let people out. Mm-hmm. Okay, Matthew, don't get boring. Thank you. Okay. Oh, and tell the people who you are and what you do real quick. You no, got 25 he was also going to share with us. The I, I'm going back to him. Okay. I just don't want Owen to feel left out because it's beer might freeze. 
Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm another. That another beard one. is a trip. It really, you know what? Not Grizzly Adams, Paul Bunyan. <laughs> is it Runyon or Bunyan? Uh, no, you I, know the guy who's the lumberjack in the cartoons. What's yeah. his name? That's Paul Bunyan. Yeah, Paul I was Bunyan. right. Okay. Because he's, he, he's built and he's not fat and gross like Grizzly Adams was. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Owen. He's no, like, it reminds me more. Who, who's the country singer? Not the way he Kenny looks Rogers? Now. Yeah, no. the way he Willie Nelson? Up. No. Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson <laughs> just looked like a crackhead. 70 years ago. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm not from Minnesota like Paul Bunyan. I'm, I'm, I'm actually from, uh, from D.C. Um, and I was uh, well indoctrinated as a child. My mother is a public defender in oh, D.C. Wow, okay. God bless um, her. What's her name? Jenny Lyman. Jenny Lyman. What's up, girl? Fight the good fight. Uh, she's actually, well, I'm not. That's okay. She fought the resume. good fight. It's cool. Um, What's she I, do I now? Was, She's uh she works for the bar council in DC. Good for her. Um, and get rid was, of them I shit lawyers in, that shouldn't have licenses. God right. bless you, girl. Mm. Right. Um, and I worked for investi- as an investigator for the public defender service in DC too. Um, and wow, and I've you went through DC neighborhoods, huh? I was, well, I, I grew up in DC neighborhoods. Not the Go same ahead, boy. Go but, ahead. <laughs> Go ahead with your bad self. Because look, I'm a sister girl. I wear a gun. I wouldn't have to have a gun. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I've, I've been all around in between, and I, I recently ended up in Philadelphia um, and uh, hooked up with Decarcerate, and that's what I'm here to talk you about. You ever been in jail? The, no. I mean, I've, I've been well, in you've not been jails, inmate. but I've, I've never been arrested. Okay. okay. And Decarcerate Pennsylvania, the whole notion is what? What's what's your mission statement? Well, it's a it's a three-point platform. Okay. Um, point one? And the point one is, is no new prisons. It's a, a moratorium on prisons. And, um, you know, Corbett administration has gone forward with a lot of projects from previous administrations. They got um, nine There's another prison female expansions. prison in the works, right? And three right. other males? That's an that's a, uh, expansion on Greaterford. Wow. Um, they're they're, they're going to make a co-ed? Well, they're, they're, I think it's for 200 beds at, at Greaterford. But they're doing a whole – that's one of um, our campaigns right now is to, is to oppose the expansion at Greaterford. Um, it's two new prisons being built on the same campus. Wow. It's uh, – SCI Phoenix is the name of the project. You got to be shitting me. Well, they're, they're claiming, wow. they're claiming yeah. that it's... Uh, they're going to get rid of the bars and make it a damn college campus. Otherwise, right. you can't <laughs> use it, Corbett. You some of my bitch. Right. Well, they, 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 they're claiming that it's, a, that it's a, a replacement for the existing facility. But, you know, that's, that's got precedent. But to use not... Phoenix, really? That's so offensive. Sorry, baby. Point number two. Um. Well, I'd like to get back to Greaterford later. I don't want you to, but you can. I'm just playing. Go ahead. Point number Um, two. Point number two is is decarceration itself. It's um, shrinking the prison prison population, and that I really like that. Real policy steps, you know, end of um, mandatory minimums, especially for nonviolent drug offenses, parole eligibility for everyone, um, and and the war on drugs and its discriminatory practices over. Oh wow! Um, okay, and and a host of other um, other policy, but we want real policy um, to reduce the number of people who are actually in prison and being incarcerated. Okay, and then the third part um, is is community reinvestment. It's taking uh, that bloated pr- prison budget and taking that money and reinvesting it back into. That's what I'm talking about. Um, mm-hmm. It's you know schools, healthcare, social services, job training, general assistance. It's doing the things that actually make our communities safer. Right. Wow. Um, we What's had Decarcerate's it, website for those that want to go there now? It's decarceratepa.info. Spell it. D-E. D-E-C-A-R-C. Oh, no, you put me on the spot. I can't 
<laughs> I spelled it um, D-E-C-A-R-A-T-E, right? Yeah, P-A. The and letter P-A. And dot info, I-N-F-O. All one word, ladies and gentlemen. Decarcerate P-A dot info. Yeah. Awesome, 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 awesome. Owen and Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. Y'all not going to get away from awesome, the questions thanks. that I pose. Thanks for having us. We're going there. So my first question, the sort of rhetorical question that I pose is not really rhetorical because now I'm going to ask you to give me your thoughts on it. Starting with you, Owen, particularly given your interest, your involvement with decarcerate and your background, right? Do you agree or disagree with this statement? As this type of society that we are, a society of free will, free, freedom of choice, we need to have a system that punishes folks for not being able to stay within the rules that we've set. Do you agree with that or disagree with that? I think that the premise that what we need to do is to punish people is 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 flawed. Okay. Um, I don't think you know punishing punishing is actually the only thing that that mass incarceration does well. No, it's the only thing that it, it does well. It doesn't it doesn't make us safer. It doesn't reduce crime. But All it's it not is, designed is, to. It it's just right? it just gets revenge. It's it's a very emotional and and vindictive. I, th- I think our system started screwing up. Do you remember back in the 70s when we started this whole new sort of revisualization of who we are, the type of society we were, and we were now mm-hmm. going to think of this really stupid idea that prison was no longer for incarceration or punishment, right? We were making it for rehabilitation. Well, bullshit. You can't put folks behind a steel wall, behind a cage for 13, sometimes 23 hours a day and expect that's going to rehabilitate them. How many states back in the 70s had in their prison systems working classes where you got your GED, you're able to get your college degree, go learn a trade, do all sorts of other things other than being locked up in a cage? Not that many. And the ones that had it then, how many have it now aside from this federal system? Hmm. A a small select few, right? So I think we start, this is just Debbie now, Hmm. I think we start with this idea. If we're going to incarcerate, we're going to incarcerate. If I'm putting you in jail for whatever bullshit reason I think that you're supposed to go to jail for, you go to trial, you get convicted, I'm putting you in jail, you do your time. I'm going to set a minimum time for you to do, and once you've settled that, then I'm going to move you somewhere else to begin that rehabilitation process. Once you've satisfied what I say you should do within my rehabilitation prism, then I'm going to let you out either on parole or probation for for you to start your rejoining society portion of that whole sentence that you're supposed to do but we've forgotten about that well chime yeah. in y'all don't, don't the, the, mean, this first, is just me screaming the first thing is i mean y'all can see me i, I don't remember the 70s <laughs> um, but, but that wasn't the, meant for the two babies in the room um, the, the, the second thing and i'm sure i'm, I'm sure Matt can speak more to this um given the relation of broken all sides on all sides with the the new jim crow is that i, I think that um michelle alexander's book makes a uh a great point that it doesn't end um, in our in our system. It doesn't end. There's not the point if you just did your time and got out. We'd be talking about a different system. Because I don't know that no I'd support one, that system either. But because no one contemplated, foresaw the collateral consequences of what's going to happen to you once you break those rules and you go to jail. Mm-hmm. But let's be real. That's a choice you make when you decide to go there. You agree with me? Let's be real. Everybody in this country, 2012, if you go out and you get a gun and you shoot somebody, you know you're breaking a rule. 
and you know that the consequence of breaking that rule is getting caught, getting arrested, going to trial, perhaps getting a shit lawyer, pleading guilty to mm-hmm. something, doing time and getting out and being labeled with that felony mm-hmm. and all those things that come along with it. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I read in Michelle's book, and I want to read it really, really fast, it I'm not going to, I have it memorized and I'm just going to sort of paraphrase what it said. She mentioned a guy, Jarvis Cotton, right? Jarvis Cotton came from a long line of folks who, in Michelle's writing, were disenfranchised. His great-grandfather was forcefully bought here from Africa, forced to be a slave, right? His grandfather was killed by the Ku Klux Klan, tortured and killed. His father was forced to serve in World War II and was injured, got a penance of a salary, right? And now Jarvis can't vote. Why? Because he got locked up, committed a felony, and he lives in one of those states where he cannot, once you get a conviction for a felony, he can't vote. And mm-hmm. her idea and her thought was all of these generations up to Jarvis himself are being disenfranchised based on our system's idea and notion that if you get convicted of a felony, you're, you lose your civil rights. Wait up. Hold up. Uh-uh. There's a big difference there. Great-grandpa didn't ask the white man to bring him over here from Africa. He didn't ask his fellow Africans to sell him to people for slavery, right? He didn't ask for that. His grandfather didn't ask for the Klan to hate him and be ignorant and stupid based on the color of his skin. His father didn't ask this government to force him into, into war. But Jarvis made that choice to commit that felony. There is no comparison. How but, is there a comparison well, there? J- Jarvis didn't ask to be born into a red-lined, segregated, you know, created out of what government policy What the hell policy has that got to do with him committing a, fel- a felony? Come on. Well, really, you got to look at the circumstances that lead people to commit crimes. So, so one thing is if you end up in a place that was... You know, government policy created redline ghettos where people, you know, white uh, funded by the government policy of the Federal Housing Administration, you know, white flight into the suburbs, the creation of all black ghettos in the inner cities. And at the same time, you have um, under global capitalism jobs. How how are you defining ghetto, Matthew? I would say in a place that is um, geographically defined, that is created, um, that has a lack of the normal economy, a lack of resources, and is largely segregated by race. Um, So places where there aren't opportunities for people, there isn't jobs, there aren't good schools, and people don't have access to what a lot of you know Americans have access to normally. So I think if you're born into one of those positions, there's just certain things. If you don't have access to a good education that can lead to you know a good college that can lead to a good job in your neighborhood, you have jobs. But that you, you don't have to. access to any education if you don't take your ass off the corner and go to school. Well, that's the public true. school system sucks, but it is what it is. Right, right, right. right. So and we have you to look have at why that choice people, every day uh-huh. to get your ass up. Put your clothes on, iron your clothes, brush your teeth, and go to school. Mm-hmm. Baby girl black, 26 yeah. years old. Whose choice was it whether you went to school or not when you moved from your mom's house, the nice suburban, if you will, northeast, to North Philly? Whose choice was it to get up whether you went to school every day or not? Yours was or was choice. it forced on you? It was my choice. Describe the biggest difference between your environment in northeast Philly with mom surroundings and in north in north philly with pops the biggest difference is how easy it was i'll take school for example since we're speaking about it how easy it was not to go to school when i was in northeast in that environment with mom 
I didn't really have a choice. I mean, and then when I woke up, who, who, who was it that made that, that took away your choice whether you wanted to go to school when you lived with mom? It was mom, but then again, there was if I did decide not to go, every other kid was in school. Number one, mm. there was no place to go for me to cut, whether it was to stay home, which wasn't you happening. Hang out with nobody, cause wasn't nobody out there. Yeah, and it, and and when I got to North Philly, the difference was if I decided not to go to school, half the neighborhood ain't go to school either. <laughs> and it was plenty of shit for us to do. There's a liquor store on every other corner. There's a weed house on every other corner. So it's just easier for my cho- for me to make the wrong decision being in that environment opposed to the other one. And I I think that's why it's called the new Jim Well, Crow. here's here's my here's my personal problem and Matthew and Owen don't be scared. Okay. It's just it's just me sharing. <laughs> it makes me cringe Particularly when I hear this idea and this notion that because you're born into a ghetto environment and you're this poor black person, what was me? What was me? You have no opportunities, no choices. That's bullshit. That's bullshit. Look, if if there were no choices, then it would be a hundred percent of black people locked up. No. Right. If it was, if the only no. choice was to, but it's not what you this, said. But, but what I'm saying is, is that there there are choices. But they're much harder choices. Than Why other are people. they much harder? Well, that's what Black was saying. You know, Why like, are they much harder? There much- are white folks deep in the South, deep in West Virginia, in the holler, who don't have shoes, have mm-hmm. less educational opportunities than what we have up here in our hoods. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. They have the same limited choices that we do. Mm-hmm. Is it? Is it? Are they making better choices than we are? I, Hold that thought. We're not there yet, but I see that look in your eye. He's like, "Bitch, what are you talking about?" <laughs> no, I mean, what, what what I am talking about is that is that um, there are people making this hard choice all the time, but um, the, the one of the points that Michelle Alexander makes, and I don't, I'm not just going to be her spokesperson. Oh, for there's this. nothing wrong with that because the book is a good <laughs> um, book. It really is. Her book is a good. The book, book is called making, Jim Crow, ladies and gentlemen. What's the rest of it? The new Jim Crow. Um, color mass, mass incarceration, incarceration in the era of color in the era of color blindness michelle alexander www.thenewjimcrow click on it you can read excerpts from the book go ahead owen but if you know if if there were no choices then it would what i'm saying is everybody would just be locked up and we'd all recognize it for what it is let me the ask choice- you a question and and, and i'm going to interrupt you a lot tell me when you need to finish your thought and i'll okay. stop it let's 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 all the, all of us here put our thoughts together and let's agree Jim Crow, this notion, this idea, originated back in the early days when it was okay to treat us, and I mean us, black folks, Spanish folks, Chinese folks too, differently based on the color of our skin, and it was sanctioned and approved by the government. Can we agree on that? Yeah. Yeah. And they got, after the government passed things like the Civil Rights Act, long before when the amendment, the 15th Amendment was passed, they gave us the right to vote and all those things. The Southerners and those racist-minded folks got a little bit more inventive and created things that weren't outwardly a violation of the laws. We agree with that, too. Mm -hmm. And that's so we can agree that within that umbrella is the Jim Crow, this notion of a Jim Crow, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Jim Crow, in my mind, is forced on me through no choice of my own, right? Those immutable characteristics that the Supreme Court says you can't discriminate, right? My skin color, the fact that I have a vagina and not a penis, the fact that I am a lesbian and not a straight person, those sorts of things that I have no control over, right? Mm -hmm. That, in my mind, is what triggers Jim Crow. Mm -hmm. How in the hell 
Kim Jim Crow be triggered when I have a choice to act or not act and know what those consequences are. That's not Jim Crow. That's it can't be. You you feeling me? It's not the same though. At all. So how can you? No, I think it's very similar because what it is. Because I ain't feeling it. Well, look at the collateral consequences of having a criminal record. A lot of it is the same. Losing voting rights, access to being on a jury, job discrimination is okay, housing discrimination is okay. But those are all things that you are... uh, This is 2012. Mm -hmm. If we were having this show and this discussion, say in 1995, 1985, I wouldn't be as frustrated. This here is 2012. Folks have come before us several generations before Mm -hmm, us mm -hmm. fought sweat and died for us to get here Mm -hmm. how dare you try to grab a hold on what they went through to wear it as your own one of my good friends thomas ford has an organization called exit us Mm -hmm. and thomas's reason for being is the creation of a bill of rights for returning citizens Mm -hmm. i'm not i didn't know how i felt about that initially when he told me about it i read some of the amendments if you will for lack of better terminology and it was it was honest they want the right to be treated like humans not to have their past destroy their future from every vantage point that you look at they want folks to recognize look i screwed up i did my time let me allow me to take my place back in society but my response to him then and and now is you understood what you were risking when you went there sure you shouldn't spend the rest of your life <coughs> suffering from what you did at some point when do we say enough is enough i get that i get that the collateral consequences be damned it was a choice that you well, made well, let me let me make two points to this the first is that um <coughs> the that some of those choices are being is the double standard that we have some of those choices are being made by those people those you know ignorant white people in the holler that you're mentioning they're making some of these same choices people use drugs across the the country at the same levels regardless of race Mm -hmm. and yet all of these drug crimes are being prosecuted against one group because all of these drug crimes are being perpetrated for the most part and let me qualify that the drug crimes are being perpetrated on a massive more massive scale in the inner city on a more if you go to scale, Chestnut Hill, because there are people closer enough, to each right. other, right? And if you go to Chestnut Hill, which is a rather affluent area within Philadelphia, you're not going to see folks standing out there smoking a, smoking a crack pipe or little crack packets on the ground because the neighbors come around, they sweep the shit up, so you don't see yeah. it. Is and, it and happening? The kids are, and the kids I'm are doing sure it, in their, it in their parents' basement. But the folks who are being impacted by it are people like me who lives in the hood mm-hmm. with a crack house next door. I'm not trying to have you live next door to me. So is the, 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 the enforcement by law enforcement concentrated more in the hood, amounting to more of my brethren getting locked up? Sure it is. As a citizen, I appreciate that shit. As a defense attorney, it bothers me because I see from looking at the police reports and dealing with these police officers on a one-on-one basis and in court how unfair it is because what's in their mind. It ain't about trying to help me, the person living next door to the crack house. It's about making his numbers get bigger and making him look good. So I understand what you're saying, but don't forget, those of us like me and like Renee appreciate this extra enforcement within our hoods. But to does try that to clean help? Our hoods does up. it help? The, does it clean the hood up? I think it makes the hood worse. I think I think these policies, you know, you you sweep these people up. You know, a lot of them innocent. You know, a lot of people, ninety five percent of 
cases don't go to trial because people plea out, you know, and a lot of times there's pressure, you know, by good public defenders to be like, you got to take this. Even I don't, you know, even if you're innocent, you go in front of this judge. That judge is crazy. And They're going to give you. you right. So like you need to take this. You get time served. You get five years. But what they don't tell you is you, you're not going to get a job when you come out. You're, you've lost your job. You've lost your apartment. Good luck getting a new apartment. You can't live with your mom in public housing so because they can distribute. I agree with you, housing. Matthew, in the sense that if we can't, once we get, once we start the ball rolling with, let, let's say for the arrest, for example, mm-hmm. in this scenario that we used, if we don't have the ability to sort of sort through who those folks are that got caught up in this big sweep then yeah we have a problem but in philadelphia county thank god we do we have diversionary programs mm-hmm. that are designed to keep those folks who otherwise wouldn't be caught up in this nonsense away from that sort of but they're not tag big enough diversionary of, programs well, we and they're also discriminatory if you look at the ways that judges and prosecutors um you know I, lay bl- that out. I blame the offices like the public defender's office here in philadelphia county the defense attorneys here in philadelphia county those that do private work as well as court appointed work because we don't insist on even handedness of it i guarantee you i'll walk into a courtroom and see a private lawyer who does his own caseload and his public defender caseload and he's not going to advocate as hard for that public defender or that court-appointed client as he is that private client. Shame mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. him. So I, I, I think in that sense, yes, it's the system. I agree. If you guys want to join in the conversation, give us a shout at 215-609-4301. Or if you're scared, you can hit up. If you're not scared, if you just don't want to be heard, you can hit up the text line at 215-435-4099. We'll read your comment on the air. And, and, and ladies and gentlemen, and trust and believe, this sort of inner battle that's going on with me right now that I'm spilling out to you, right? it's, it's really real. Yeah. And it's getting real. Bec- and I'm wondering, a part of me is wondering, am I starting to get a little jaded from having done this for so long and having to fight every but single this, day when I go to court. You know, this is the fight that makes that makes this system, this broader system possible. Because I agree. in individual cases, it might seem like, oh, I don't want that person in my neighborhood. Or, oh, that person made a choice and it's the wrong thing. What The, uh, the point is looking at the numbers over, over the whole. And when you get to a statistical level, it's... There's, this is not accidental. So then it's not it's not the incors- incarceration piece that we fight. It's that piece that you get to before you get there. That's it's a big part of it. And where is, social and where programs. Is Where's the money that could frick, go to those social programs? Frick the money. No, frick the money. The people in built. the hood need to band together and start educating each other. I'm sick and tired of my people waiting on Uncle Sam to give us a hand. We need to step up, put more of these nonprofits out there, knock on each other's door, and start getting together the community and say, yo, you know what? I'm tired of Johnny and Boo Boo and them standing on that corner selling them drugs. Let's go as a group and let's talk to them. Damn it, let's take their hands and take them over over to the the dry out center the rehab center let them see how these how these how these these smokers look well amen we to can't that. keep this is 2012 yes the new jim crow's coming back then damn it let's create create our own new anti-jim crow yeah we're not yeah. getting the money we got corbett as a governor mm-hmm. if he had his way food stamps welfare everything else is gone so we need to be prepared and plan for that and my mouth is dry as hell can we take a really quick break <laughs> <laughs>
Welcome back to For the People Law and Plain Language. It's me, Deb Rain, the compassionate lawyer, your host, with Black, a.k.a. the Broke Poet, simply the PhD candidate producer. Hey, producer, Goofy. See there, see there. Ooh. <laughs> I'm saying that, y'all, because she hasn't said a word, and y'all, those of you who have listened, you know where her mind's at. She would have been screaming and hollering and mommy and down. Joining us in the studio is the director. Did you write the film as well, Matthew? I didn't list a writer, but yeah, I could. I edited it, so I put together the story. Director, and that's the way of editor, writing. and not writer listing. Matthew, <laughs> Matthew Pillisher. Are you an officer in decarcerate, or just a member thereof? I'm just a member. Okay, a member decarcerate of decarcerate doesn't exactly have officers. We're we're coalitions. I like time. that. I heard that. Okay, everybody sort of no chiefs, all Indians working together. We got we got committees and and you know, okay, that's where most of the work gets done. Okay, general meeting. Decarcerate PA Owen Lyman Schmidt. We're talking about mass incarceration. Is it the new Jim Crow? We've mentioned the new Jim Crow mass incarceration in the age of colorblindness by Michelle Alexander. If you want to join in our conversation, be heard. Tell me I'm full of. Can I say shit? Full of shit well, or no, agree um, with what I said? I think I've if said. we looked at everything you said thus far, it's 215-609-4301. Text line. 215-435-4099. Owen and I had a very um, lively sort of back and forth on the other side of the break. We took a quick break because my mouth was dry. And um, Owen, where were we? Bring me back to where we were, baby. Um, we were talking about how right I was. I think that was it. Oh, not. <laughs> no, we were talking about money and and um and how we can't wait for that money to come from the you know that the people who are in power aren't going to voluntarily give up this this money and this control. Um and and I I agree with you. Um and there's always the part, you know, you make them you let them know that you're that you're watching them. Um but not just watching them, but that you care. Look, young man, you know mm-hmm. what? I see every day you come out of your house struggling because your mama's down on the other corner smoking her pipe. Oh, no. I, was I see you, you don't have anything. Oh, no, <laughs> I'm sorry. I- I'm getting to this point and I'm bringing this up because we have a, we've have had a number of nonprofits on the show. And Renee and I and Black are all about grassroots and folks rolling up their sleeves and getting there and doing things. And it's time for a change. We can't keep going back to the way things were in the 60s, the way we mobilized. We got to mobilize now in this new age like President Obama did to get reelected, to get elected and reelected. We have to change our mindsets to find ways that work for us that won't require us to rely on Big Brother to give us stuff. 
Mm. Hopefully, one of the ways we can do that is by checking out Broken on All Sides, a film directed and edited by Matthew Pillisher. Matthew, Renee keeps holding up that damn sign. Tell him what the film's <laughs> right, about. Right. Well, uh, the movie is about race, mass incarceration, and uh, new visions for criminal justice in the U.S. Um, it's the what we're talking about. I have to be honest with mm-hmm. you and with Owen, and, and I have to say this first. I feel really comfortable with you guys here. Thanks. I grew up as a I, – I, I can't – in my mind, I'm not a racist because I'm black and we ain't got no power, so I can't be a racist yet. I agree. I can be prejudiced, and I grew up prejudiced. I really did as a youngster from age 10 to 11 because – in all the foster homes that I was in, when they put me in the white foster homes, it was always painfully obvious to me that they always had more. Even when they put me in a uh, foster home in Sewickley, Pennsylvania, which is the middle of nowhere, big old country um, farming place, the family there had so much, mm-hmm. so much land, so much property. And when I went back into the black foster homes, it was just enough, a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I mean, I never lived in the hood as a foster kid, but there was a little bit more. And the one thing I always thought was, well, wow, if you're white, you automatically get it. If you're black, you don't. So I had a hard time well, sharing yeah. with and being with white folks and letting them hear. And I always thought that when black folks said that they wanted to reach in, roll up their sleeves and help us out, that they were just being condescending because I don't think we could do it on our own. Well, most Thank of them probably what, were. Probably. <laughs> but thankfully, I've matured and allowed myself to... Um, let my rainbow coalition come out in me. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there are times when I'm a little bit skeptical when I hear white folks like you boys say this things that you say. Mm-hmm. My first response is going to be, don't be pitying me. We don't need your pity. But there's always room for discussion and discourse, right? Yeah. Well, so the, go back to There's an film. old uh, Aboriginal quote that, um, you know, the native the people of Australia. <laughs> and, and And it's... <laughs> You know, if you're coming here to help me, you know, basically, screw you, I don't need your help. If you're coming here because your liberation is wrapped up in mine, then let's work together. Oh, wow. And that's, that's okay. how I look at it, because okay. I, I think this system here affects okay. me, like affects that. a lot of the people. Um, if, if you're coming here, if you're to, coming help here me, to help me, F you. F you, I don't need your help. But if you're coming here because your liberation is wrapped up in mine... And let's work together. Okay. And is that's, your liberation wrapped up in mind, Matthew? I think it is. Um, and obviously different people in society, different racial groups, sure. sexual groups, sexual preference are oppressed at different levels. But I think we start with a, a common uh, exploitation under this system where the people that don't have a lot of money are getting exploited, are not getting to make choices in society, are getting screwed over. We look at this with the big Wall Street and the banks and all that. Um, and I think part of the reason in America why there's never been a real progressive movement um, of like the working people coming together and ab- able to get, you know, more pieces of the pie is because, because of this not, race issue. Uh, that's not the it's nature. Always no, divided it's always the us. capitalist issue. Well, yeah, yeah. That's not the nature of a capitalist society. No, that's if true. If you're looking at the caste system like in Britain, the have stay together and the have not stay together. Mm-hmm. In Britain of every other country on this planet. You're going to see black folk and white folk living next door to each other in a housing project. Where in the, the, the United States of America, New York, Baltimore, Camden, Newark, Philadelphia, find me a housing complex where you have 50-50 black, white, Spanish, and the whole nine living next door to right. each other. It ain't going to happen. That's part of our peculiar you know, our question of race is as a nation. Money, money first 
race sort of comes along with it, I think. Do you agree with that or no? Well, what do you think, Black? I think, you know, no, well, go ahead, finish what you were saying. Money first, yes. But, like, money is what created racism in this country, the slave trade. I agree with that. You know, first they they I tried to that. do Native Americans. That didn't work. They ran away. They, they tried to do white people. That didn't work. What Black white, people. What white people. Bring them over for uh, indentured servitude. The just, Polish and all them. Yep. Okay. And then black people from Africa, very cheap, very easy to come over. And how do we justify this system? How do we justify this new nation that is all men are created equal? Well, you these have people have to be less than you, men. And you fight it that's out. How you, that's how you create ra- uh, slave racism is out of slavery, the necessity, the economic necessity. And you need to justify this in a new nation that is based on equal rights. All men are created equal. You have to, you have to create this thing, this racism that means that these people are less than human. And that's where racism comes from. And we've had problems with race ever since the founding of this country. We're going to con- let's be let's be honest, all of us with each other. We're going to always have problems, concerns, discussions, disagreements about race because we look at each other differently. All of us can sit here and say, oh, yeah, we're all liberal and blah, 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 blah. blah. If you walk into a, a if I walk into a room and I'm the only black person in that room, whether I walk into a courtroom or when Renee drags me to the freaking opera or if we go <laughs> or if we go see JJ at a boring ass um, Shakespeare mini drama. If I'm the only black person there, I'm going to look around a little bit and be a bit uncomfortable. You guys, if you walk into an all black spot, there's no other um, light po- folks in the room, you're going to look around a bit, too. And if you say you're not, I'm going to call you a liar to your face. So first thing, we have to all... I don't think all... that that's necessarily true. Come I think on. that's coming from where you're coming from. Uh, Matthew, be honest. No, I'm not th- saying you're not going to run out, but I'm, you're going to feel some kind of way. Yeah. Well, I mean, And to say you're not is bullcrap. I am going to look around. Because I need to know how pers- my, how close my person needs to be next to me. Okay, I need to find the, the exit. I need to find the exit. But from a female going into a place alone, I need to make sure that I'm secure in my surroundings. At the opera. So with safety. Well, not well. Maybe. <laughs> At the Shakespeare <laughs> mini drama theater, maybe, baby. I'm, I, it's 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 by habit. So by habit, it always happens. But I'm not going to say that I'm going to look around and I'm going to do and I'm going to do it from a racial point of view. I think it depends on <coughs> how you were raised and what you experienced. Black. I think for me, it probably depends on how intimate the surrounding is. If it's just like a big uh, public place, I probably won't notice to tell you the truth. Maybe if you walk up in the Academy of Music for the Philadelphia Orchestra's 15th anniversary and they finna take some hip, hunk, pop, funky stuff and turn it into some classical music, you walk up in there, you're the only black person there, you're not going to look around and be like, oh, or feel something. shiznit. <laughs> no, okay, it on. On, I don't know. It's, I've been in those kind of situations before. That's why I say that. And the way I thought I would feel just didn't really cross my that's mind. Fa- okay, that's you know fair. That's fair. I'm going to feel some kind of way more in a bigger place than an intimate place. I think place. it's how you experience race in America growing up. And, well, and you're bringing well, and that most into of us experience I grew that. up without white folks, so my right. first most, option most would have been, ooh, what's that? But, but it's see, not. Here's, I, Owen, I, I, I agree you with you at? on that because I think that one of the, 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 
the big blessing of whiteness in this country is that most white people don't spend a lot of time thinking about because their whiteness. Because they ain't got to. Right, yeah. exactly. So so I grew up in, in D.C., and I, I, I grew up in a nice neighborhood in D.C. There's probably the whitest part of D.C. that there is. And, you know, it's it's middle class, upper middle class. I don't know what you want to call it. But, but still, D.C. is a black city. And so I grew up a minority, you know, in... Uh, in a, the minority's majority city. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that made me, I, I, I moved on, I went to other places, and I was surprised at the fact that other people, that lots of other white folks that I met, didn't have the same um, understanding, uh, it didn't have a racial identity at all. They didn't have, it, it didn't, it hadn't crossed their minds because they grew up in white communities and they, it, maybe they thought that other races had racial identities, but they were white. You know, what, what could they possibly... And that's, that's part of the, you know, the, the way that um, certain groups maintain powers by defining what is normal. So and it sounds also, to me like you, Owen, you, Matthew, and other like-minded folk like you have to take on the responsibility of getting them lily-white MFers together and giving them some classes and some socialization as to what you're feeling and what you're saying and what this notion and this sort of... Growing up, what we used to say is this... Um, what's, what did I say yesterday? I made this comment. I don't know. yabba dabba do or something? I don't know. Your mama's yabba dabba do. <laughs> it just flew right out. I had a senior moment. Oh, my God. Go back and talk about your, so, your movie. So, anyway, I, I, I just that. wanted to... But, 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 but entitlement! I, entitlement! Oh, my entitlement. God. That was a novel thought, too. <laughs> Well, that's all they're talking about. How in Washington many Spanish, now. black, other folk, even even white folk who are lower on the socioeconomic ladder, lower on the rung, have this idea, this notion that certain white folks, and, I, and I'm not going to bite my tongue, have this sense of entitlement. There's this place in Philadelphia, you know of it, the Union League, right? Mm. These big old Republican white mm. people from billions of dollars that make billions of dollars of money. They have their every little year, their little, I'm going, I'm going to feel sorry for the black folk and allow them in through the front door once or twice mm. a year to have a little benefit for them or some old crap. And black folk just run and get their little white, their little black face on, their little ties and shit mm. and run over there. Yes, it, yes, it, it drives me crazy. It makes me want to puke. But, you know, I think it still goes down to how you were raised and how race impacted your life. Growing up in and America. And even if I was raised in Chestnut Hill, they would still make me want to puke. But I think it, it, <laughs> it goes to whether you were black, white, purple, you had some experience. Even lack of an experience is an experience that colors how you view, how you interact as an adult. And what you're taught in your surroundings, blah, blah, bullshit, I get all no, that. No, no, it no. still makes me want to puke. Okay. All right. <laughs> She's gonna puke either way. Nah, I I think um it really does make a difference where you were and how you were brought up because when when I my younger years and more formative years Your I younger was, years, y'all. She's twenty six. Yeah, my younger years. So <laughs> she was like one years. and two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now nah, being in, being raised by my mom and in in that neighborhood, it was more mixed, more white, and so when I moved to the belly in North Philly. I felt uncomfortable around because I just wasn't, I spoke a little proper and they treated me different. They used to call me white and all that. Mm. So, so didn't you feel, and I'm just curious about this and I'll tell you why in a minute. Didn't you feel an obligation to turn back and say, yo B no, here's what, here's the game, right? 
I can walk into our world and live and survive and do what I do. And let me take you into their world so you can live and survive and be there. You're not because you're a baby. You're an embryo. Yeah, not you at ain't that there point. Yet. I wasn't. Right. Okay. You don't have that at kind that of point, perspective. At that point, I was just trying to show them that I was blacker than them. But like, you get you know? it now, right? You're oh, starting yeah. to get it now, right? Yeah. And that's where a lot of us black folk, and, and, and I'm going to say this with these two white boys sitting here, and they love me and I love them. Black, to me, the black race is the most versatile with respect to the way we live, how we live, right. and where we live. If you don't agree, it's okay. And the reason I say that is I can get on the on the air like this. What's up, yo? What's up, fam? All that mess. Sound good. Be comfortable. Be understood for the people of my age. Maybe not black's age, but my right. age and the <laughs> vernacular that we used back then. And my mm-hmm. age. Get off of the radio. Go step into a courtroom. Present myself the way that I'm supposed to. And know y'all don't say damn and shit on the record most of the time. I do not. Mm-hmm. Or walk and present something to a classroom full of law students. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, and I have a lot of friends of every color, and I also mm-hmm. speak Russian, so I have some Russian friends. They don't feel as comfortable as we do doing that. I don't know very many Wiggers, so I don't know if they do that whole mm-hmm. neighborhood speak and then go somewhere else and do it. For example, the most <laughs> telling thing to me here in Philly, South Philadelphians, mm. I most of the time have no idea what the hell they're talking about. In court, out of court, I have no clue. So I go home to Renee and say, Renee, what does that mean? What's this? What is that? What? And, and so that's where I see that lack of diversity in what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And I digress. Forgive me. Uh, Matthew and Owen, I want to ask you guys a big, big question. Please make me a promise. We have got to come back and finish this because we're not going to get to it by 930. <laughs> we have to come back and finish this. So we're going to call that this show part one. Will you guys yeah. agree to come back and finish this? Yeah. My producer this, looks like she's going to kick my butt. But I'd like <laughs> no, for us no, to finish no, this. Not at all. It's not a at all. really great. good it's conversation. It's a great conversation so far. And I think when you guys come back, bring some other folks with you. We'll invite some other folks. Yeah. And let's have a conversation for real around this mm-hmm. so that you can really under, you can, y'all can really believe that I am truly split the way i sound like i'm split i really am it's not just and, me and decarcerate doesn't all look like us too. i figured that too. <laughs> <laughs> i figured that too but it's okay if they did though that's right. okay but I, mean, I think some dialogue needs to have some open dialogue about race because i think race is one of those topics and if you are redneck taboo. and you are racist stop being afraid if if, if if it's something that you truly believe in my position is this be smart enough proud enough to be able to present your position so folks can see where you're coming from. They don't have to agree with you. And I'm never going to spit at you and cuss at you if you tell me to my face that you're a racist and you tell me you got some legitimate reasons why. Not if you come at me and say, oh, all you do is eat up welfare. and I ain't never been on welfare a day in my life, so that don't apply to me. Next. Right. And that's the point that I was trying to make. Go ahead. You were going to say something. He's looking like... Well, man might be able to speak to this better, but I think that one of the that is exactly the problem is that race has become entirely coded. Nobody's right. nobody's willing to admit right. to so, and that's what and that's why that I mean I think that's Michelle Alexander. She's clearly making she's she's trying to get people to react. Michelle, by girl, we are hooking <laughs> you up. We want some royalties. Hear me? I'm just playing. Go ahead. She's, she's clearly trying to trying to you know she's aware of what a volatile phrase Jim Crow is. I mean she's mm-hmm. she's not doing that to accidentally. Whom? To it ain't volatile to me. Is it volatile to really? you? It sounds really? volatile to no. you. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's volatile is trying to make a person who makes a choice 
and inadvertently or collaterally ends up falling into that potential Jim Crow tunnel. No, I think as that. opposed to someone who was put there because he didn't have a choice. I no, think that's as a brown, as a brown person, and Deborah and I have totally different backgrounds as it comes to upbringings really, as far as as okay. I found Renee's out, bougie. I'm not. Let's get it no, straight. I found out. I am the next to the youngest out of seven kids. My older sisters were 19 years, 18, 17. My mother was married twice. There's a big gap there. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I went to school, I remember there were times when uh, my mother and the other women on the block had to go pick my sisters up from school um, and bring them home. But it was always, shh, you don't talk when the children are in the room. I was a child. So consequently, I didn't understand what was happening. I was nine or something when Dr. Martin Luther King got killed, um, or eight. And I remember coming downstairs, putting my hand on the doorknob to go to school, and my parents said, oh, don't school today. Somebody important got killed. People are really angry, and you can go back upstairs. And as a kid, I was like, cool, I'm going back upstairs. It wasn't until years later, in hindsight, I was going, holy shit, that was when Dr. King got killed. Mm. Because I found out about slavery not from home, in spite of all the race riots and all that stuff that was happening. I found out third grade, chapter three, um, African-Americans and slavery. And I remember looking in the, there was a picture on there of this little black boy in a tray. And we started reading a little bit before we went home. And I remember saying, oh my God, those poor people. Look at what they went through. And it was that point that my mother or father, someone said, well, that's you. And I'm going, what? Because it was never discussed on my level where my brother and I, who were the youngest, but all of my sisters. And then it was like, wait a minute. So that's the times when the women on the block had to go up to the high school because there were race rides and things that were going on and bring them home. But it was never discussed. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's a blessing and a curse. So I wasn't tainted with hate. And that sounds kind of weird even coming out of my own mouth, but it, it gave me a pure appreciation for people based on the person that's sitting in front of me today, mm-hmm. not for a race or a group or a body of people. Mm-hmm. Um, huh. Well, I will say that I think the majority huh. of white people don't have an appreciation for the person sitting in front of you today if they are a person of color. Why and sh- I think a lot of it has to do with like growing up in a very segregated society. And so like coming back to this idea of like um, the coded race words, I mean, welfare is such a good example because the majority of people on welfare are white, are white because y'all make up more people than we do. That's just, that's just a, but they are able to say welfare, welfare queen crack down on welfare in a way that is using race, you know? And so it actually ends up, being white people, people like fighting against their own interests a lot of the time. And so I think that's a really good example. Um, you know, that's how like all this law and order crime rhetoric, a lot of that language came about in response to the civil rights movement when it no longer became okay to be an open racist and open segregationist, but it was okay to say, well, I don't agree with the tactics of the civil rights movement. There's, you know, we need law and order. We need to return to like decency, get these people off the streets, no rioting. And that became the rhetoric of the Republican Party in the South um, after the civil rights movement. And, look and that started the ramp up. And look where it's getting those poor schmucks. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I really want to get out a little bit more information from Matthew respecting mm-hmm. his 
film. Number one, Matthew, I was able to get a snippet of your film off of the website, Broken on All Sides. Ladies and gentlemen, type into your browser, www.brokenonallsides.com. Takes you to the main website, home about us, and it gives you a four-minute taste of the film yeah. and it's a really powerful four minutes and judge wood skipper i do love you forgive me um i'm still going to talk to you <laughs> about how silly you sounded in that little piece matthew the how long is the film it's 68 minutes okay so and, you know and, and it's free the viewing is free this viewing this saturday at the international house 3 30 p.m where's the international it's house? at uh 37th and chestnut for those of you not in Philadelphia, this is merely in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. 37th and Chestnut, the International House at 3.30. Mm-hmm. Free screening of Broken on All Sides. Will you be there for a discussion afterwards? Yeah, I'll be there. There's going to be a lot of other great people involved with criminal justice issues, too, for a panel discussion afterwards. Wow, cool. And there's about 20 different organizations that are co-sponsoring the screening, and they're going to be tabling before and afterwards. So people who come that are interested in these issues. There's going to be food. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll say yes. <laughs> no, I'm not expecting for there to be food, but um, there's going to be lots of amazing information if you're hungry if for I ideas. If I miss this free screening on Saturday, how else can I get a uh, look at your film? Well, you can uh, order the DVD for $20. Bucks. Um, I'm selling them for $20, and that enables me to continue doing this organizing work. I'm doing full-time organizing around the movie and outreach, um, trying to tour the movie around the country, um, do different events like the one that's happening Saturday, so where we bring a lot of people locally who are involved with these issues, people impacted by criminal justice, people who were formerly incarcerated, advocates, come together, talk about the issues like we're doing, and see if there's a way we can go forward from here in each locality. And I think it's a really important project because... Because a lot of the things that people understand about criminal justice is wrong, is misinformation. So that's what this is, is a public education kind of campaign. Broken on All Sides is an invaluable teaching resource. The American penal system has to be at the center of any discussion of racial inequality. And this documentary powerfully demonstrates the human toll of this inhumane system. While clear-eyed in its assessment of the many obstacles to change, it is a compelling call to action. And that was by Greta Snyder, an instructor of racial politics at the University of Virginia. There's all manner of accolades and reviews on Broken All Sides, and they're brave enough to put them on their website. I thought that was pretty brave. Even, and and even I've seen something on, ones. on Facebook mm-hmm. saying that you guys, this was also viewed in other cities. Yeah, this, okay. this has been I, viewed in over 20 cities okay. across and the country. And I, I say that because even though we're in Philadelphia, you guys going to be viewing someplace else after Philadelphia? Uh, well, I was supposed to do a screening November 3rd in New York right. and Hurricane Sandy uh, took that over. <laughs> so there is, to be determined, uh, we're going to do a big screening with the campaign to end the new Jim Crow, people who are organizing <laughs> against Stop and Frisk uh, in New York City, Ooh, to be determined. That must be interesting. It's going to be and, good. And ladies and gentlemen, we swear, and I promise you, we will get to the mass incarceration and the new Jim Crow on part two, part three, and as many parts as it takes for us to get this information out there and continue with this wonderful dialogue. Owen has some information he'd like to impart to you with respect to decarcerate PA. Yeah, we've also got an event, um, and we're one of the sponsors of uh, of Broken on All Sides screening. Um, but we've got an event coming up on Monday, uh, the nineteenth. Um, it's where we're it, we're calling it the tribunal. We're we're going to literally put the Pennsylvania prison system on trial. 
Um, it's at 4 p.m. Wow. at uh, 15th and JFK Boulevard. That's the municipal services building plaza. The MSB. Outside. Oh, cool. And um, we're charging Governor Corbett and the Department of Corrections Secretary uh, John Wetzel with crimes against Pennsylvania. We're going to have witnesses from um, from all over, all sorts of different organizations, all sorts of people who have uh, who've been locked up, who have family members locked up, who are going to be testifying as witnesses um, to the to the damage that this this system is doing to them. Uh, it's particularly, um, you know, scary, but interesting Yeah, for us, you know, Corbett came up earlier, um, sort of dismissively, but you know, he's calling himself a a judicial reformer, uh, Corbett. Yeah. Locking up more people and build more prison. He is reforming. Right. He, he signed, (laughs) he signed the, this justice reinvestment act, uh, HB 135 and his companion, um, Senate bill 100, um, that takes some small steps and they take some steps backwards too at the same, you know, and he, he's giving this, you know, with one hand and taking away a lot with more and he expects more, nobody to, to notice, you know, he expects to Who's be officiating. To Who's going to be the judge of sorts. It's going to be the committee of Descartes, the um, coalition of sorts. If you know, I, I, I don't know who the judge is. I don't remember what her, um, if people want to get more information about this event, where do they go? They should look us up on the, the website that we said earlier. Decarcerate.info. D-E-C-A-R-C-E-R-A-T-E-P-A.info. Okay. Um, and also, we, we, we are, we're part of the modern world. We got Facebook. And that's a great way to um, to get future events, too, with us. Decarcerate um, PA on, fr- on Facebook. Friend them, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, Really, again, really quickly, we got to close up. But here's what. You have... One minute. Matthew, you want people to know who you are and what you're about and your motivation, your real motivation behind this movie. What are you going to tell them? Yeah. 45 seconds. I think this is the, the number one civil rights issue of our time is taking on mass incarceration. And it's um, for all people because this system is affecting one in 100 Americans is behind bars right now. Um, one in 36 Latino adults and one in 15 black adults. Um, it's so much about race, so important. If you're a black boy born today, there's a one in three chance just based on the color of your skin, you're spending some time in prison. So if we're talking about new Jim Crow, you know, the stats are there. And if this was happening to any other community, the white community, we would be up in arms about it. There's a reason that we're not. Crime has been racialized, and we really need to fight back against this. And so this, this, this movie is one way to become informed about it and give people who are impacted by it a political framework for understanding how we got to this point and how we can fight the system. And Owen, being the spokesperson, whether willingly or unwillingly, for the carcerate PA, you have a minute to let folks know where Decarcerate stands and what's in Owen's heart as it relates to the mission of Decarcerate. What do you say? You know, in 1980, Pennsylvania had, had 8,000 people locked up. Now we've got 51,000 people locked up. Um, if the economy were booming right now, you know, there was plenty of money to go around. We might have a little wiggle room, um, some time to do these slow reforms or something. But, you know, it's not. And every spending choice has real consequences when you, you raise the prison budget and go forward with big capital projects like the two new prisons at Greaterford. Um, at the same time, cutting funding in basic education that, you know, th- these politicians are making their, their priorities very clear. Um, they're not the priorities of judicial reform. It's a criminal misuse of taxpayer money. And we're going to put them on trial this Monday. All right, boy. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Owen and Matthew, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Let's and do it again. And we will keep you um, 
our listeners updated when part two, three, four, five, and how many parts <laughs> we need to come to this full circle. And it would be fabulous if, if any of you knew Michelle Alexander. Reached out to her, see if she would come on the show Maybe or or do in. a phone call, yeah, yeah. call in and let us get a little bit of we'll her. We'll try and get her to call so in. So I can let her know a few something somethings. <laughs> <laughs> but I highly recommend the book, her. ladies and gentlemen. The snippet, the little piece that I read, notwithstanding not agreeing with everything that she said, it was a really interesting book. It's, a, it's, it's damn sure a thought-provoking book. And once again, the name of the book is The New Jim Crow. Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness by Michelle Alexander. You can find it on www.newjimcrow.com. You can get it at the free library, too, but you got to wait in line because everybody else wants it, too. And you can download a piece of it on Kindle like I have the first five mm, chapters right. for free or whatever that is. And then you pray somebody else gets it, and then you go borrow it from them. <laughs> So we're going to go to black now because Miss Rainey just kind of just stopped talking and mid everything. Because I was trying to read the cue card she was writing and I couldn't see it. Because it, it wasn't she purposely for you. avoided it. Made sure I couldn't read it. At this time in our show, as we do every show, we get a piece of some delight from black. Go ahead, black. Take it away, girl. All right. I'm going to um, do this piece. I actually performed this piece live at a piece on the streets event. When I was looking for a piece tonight or something to come up with, I just thought it fit really well. It's called um, Before Peace Comes Unity. Before peace comes unity. Before peace comes unity. Boom! Another young man is killed because of the indecisive perception of ego and swagger. Bullets are traded between youth like daggers, and we can sit and talk about all that matters, but how many of us are ready to take action? Boom is the sound of the crashing of our future, because our kids would rather sell drugs than hit the school up, only adapting to what they seen when they grew up. The homies walking around with pockets fatter than Respucia, either your pusher or a shooter. Anger builds up because of the oppression and we express it against each other. That's the toughen us, not knowing that a society bluffing us. I don't know where we get the stigma that it's tougher to bust a gun. We don't have to shoot each other. The cops killing enough of us. Just around the corner, 108 shots deposited from the revolvers of officers targeted into a single man's frame. Only 29 missed them. I don't know about y'all, but to me, that's the modern day definition of a goddamn lynching. Before peace, we need unity. Silence. That's the sound of the abandoned young child because he's too hungry to speak. And his parents have made a homer the streets opposed to feeding kids and keeping the house clean. They'd rather have a crack kid twitch or dope fiend lean i remember back when back when we wouldn't stand for this we fought for what was ours and wage war to ensure the rights of our community somehow we lost that along the way we left it descended across the sky and now we search for it with the sharpness of an eagle's eye divine peace the greatest hope of you and i but before peace comes you and i ty wow oh my goodness that was Fabulous. Why am I stopping? I don't I'm being nosy. Know. You're pointing to I don't What I want to say is this to all my intellectual brothers and sisters out there, and I mean literally my African American brothers and sisters, I grew up in that time where we said it wasn't okay to let 
the white man, the Asian man, the brown man know what our struggles and what our issues are and where we're at and trying to bring ourselves up and bring ourselves and empower ourselves. We need to keep that within our closed door, within our closed halls, within our halls of academia, if you will. Now in 2012 and moving forward, black, white, brown, yellow, all of us, we need to come together face to face, have these frank discussions with one another because we're not going to go nowhere beyond that. Right now, until we can do that, it's nothing but a bunch of bullshit in air with black and her poem. She's absolutely right. Before the peace comes to unity, now it's time for us to unite and all. Forget about Mr. Corbett. Even President Obama has some good ideas and he has some good thought things that he wants to do. We can't rely on that. We got to do it for ourselves. Thank you so much for listening in. If you guys send us emails, call, clap, send us claps and shouts. We can beg and peer pressure Matthew and Owen to come back and finish part one and two. Reach out to Michelle Alexander. Anybody out there that wants to come on board and be a part of this, reach out to us, email us, call us. Thank you so much for listening to For the People Law in Plain Language. Yeah. And are you going to say goodnight? Not yet, because he's going to play his little piece. Well, um, I'm trying to anticipate what my producer's doing, and I'm sucking I, at it. I, I, I <laughs> so, my I last thing that. to y'all is thank you so much. Say bye, fam. Good night. Bye bye. Thank, thank you. you.
We want dignity. We want better health care. We want、um, training and education in prison. And basically, their slogan was, "We want dignity." And they were in a lockdown for liberty, as they called it. It was extremely, extremely、um, inspiring to those of us that do criminal justice work on the outside to see that kind of a struggle、uh, take place. And even though they ma- they were massively repressed because of what they did.、Um, They got their voice out there, and they felt their power, and they came together across racial lines, across ethnicity, religious lines, and we know what they do in these prisons—that they foster groups and they pit them against each other to fight and not to come together. And this was a brilliant showing of the prisoners coming together and saying, "We will not be divided." While the Get Tough movement and the war on drugs was born with black folks in mind. It has now destroyed、um, people in communities of all colors.、Um, you know, a black kid who's facing 15 years、uh, in prison for a relatively minor drug crime, and a white kid in Kansas who's facing a prison sentence rather than drug treatment he needs desperately, are both suffering because of a drug war that was declared、uh, in the wake. Of、uh, you know civil rights movement、um, with black folks in mind. I think in a very true, just society where people are treated fairly, where there isn't racism, where people. Listening to For the People, Law in Plain Language, with me, Deb Brainy, your compassionate lawyer, Black, aka the Broke Poet, simply the producer, Renee. Say bye, fam. We out. The information presented on For the People is provided as general legal information. The general legal information is intended to inform consumers, is not intended to substitute for specific legal advice as it relates to the listener's specific legal issue. Consumers are cautioned not to rely on the general legal information broadcast on For the People as legal advice. No attorney-client relationship is created, intended, or implied between the consumers of For the People and Deborah Rainey Esquire, the compassionate lawyer, or the law office of Deborah D. Rainey. Please consult with an attorney for your specific legal issue.